Spoiler alert, this episode contains spoilers for all episodes of Pushing Daisies. You're listening to Jack Loves TV. I'm Jack Kelly, and each week I sit down with one of my friends and discuss one of our favorite TV shows. This week, I'm joined by my friend Ellie Chow, and we are talking about Pushing Daisies. Hi, Ellie. Hi, how's it going? Great. I'm so excited you're here. Um, Just to kind of, you know, tell the people who you are, um, what kind of shows do you watch? I watch all different types of shows except reality. I don't really watch any reality TV, but I watch dramas. Right now, I'm currently binging CSI because it's all on Hulu. <laughs> the, the original CSI? Yeah, I already binged the Miami, so I'm done with that. <laughs> nice. Yeah, but um, I watch everything, even bef- if they only last for a season. <laughs> Sad. <laughs> I'm the same way. I'm the exact same way. Yeah. Tell me something's good, and I am I am there for it. Yeah. Uh, what is the and what's the favorite thing that you're watching right now? Uh, the current favorite thing I'm watching in terms of new episodes, honestly, I would say The Mick. Have you heard? Oh my God. The <laughs> Mick is so good. I so love it. good. I honestly love it. And I, it's, it's, I think it's a guilty pleasure, but I don't know if it's a guilty pleasure if other people like it too. I, I think it almost seems like a guilty pleasure just because not many people know about mm-hmm. this show. It's Caitlin Olsen and it's her own show and it's one of the reasons why It's Always Sunny hasn't come back right away because <laughs> yeah. she's been doing this and Glenn's been doing AP Bio, which is also very funny. Um, <laughs> but both of these are like, you know, it's what if D were responsible for children? Yeah, um, that's the that's like the most perfect way I've heard it described. And these children are spoiled, rich brats. And, and it's, it's glorious. It's so wonderful. It's such a wonderful show. Yeah. Whenever I see a new episode in my Hulu, I'm like, yes! Yes! Life. Uh, Life is good uh, now. It's, it's ridiculously funny. Uh, so let's get into TV news. First up, this was actually, this just happened today. Nickelodeon officially dropped Dan Schneider. Uh, He's the creator of iCarly and a lot of other hit shows on Nickelodeon. Mostly, he's been accused of being very verbally abusive on set and being kind of a terror. And he's also been accused of uh, sexual assault charges against some of his actors, which is really upsetting given that they are children's shows. (laughs) And so the ages of his actors, I mean, that's not to say... Any of the other, you know, assault yeah. cases are are not as bad, but like this is extremely gross, yeah, and and not great. The fact that they're also saying, "Oh, we kind of got rid of him because he's verbally abusive," is like we've heard of tons of filmmakers and people working in entertainment being horrible, so that they're kind of using this as an excuse to get rid of him is really interesting to me. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous that, that that's the reason that they're saying it. It's just say that he's been a- accused of sexually assaulting his young yeah. stars of his show and we'll all believe you because that's the reckoning that's happening right now. Yes. You just Nickelodeon just doesn't want to make it icky, but it's already icky. I love the word the reckoning by the way. I love that that's the title for this cuz it's so true. It's so yeah. true and it's it's wonderful to watch. Yeah, and every time a new one it's like another one bites the dust. Uh, Finally. It's the best. It's the best. Um so another big thing that's been happening in the last, you know, couple of weeks is uh they actually we found out it wasn't supposed to get out about the crown and the wage parity that's happening in that um uh, in that Claire Oh my God, Claire Foy, Claire Foy yeah. is actually making less than Matt Smith does. You know, even though she is the title character, <laughs> she is the crown. Like the show is about her, but she makes less than he does. And it's, you know, turned into a, a whole big discussion. And they're, you know, apparently it wasn't supposed to get out. <laughs> so, Which is another whole thing. It's like yeah. they know they did a bad. And then yeah. it comes out and they're like, sorry. Yeah, but because of that, they've actually, um, they've they've decided to pay her more. Oh, good. Oh, I didn't um, hear that. Yes. I didn't read that. That's good. Yes. Okay. They've, they've, um, they've decided that that is the right thing that they should be doing. Good. So, which is wonderful given that, you know, it's... I love Matt Smith. I'm a big Doctor Who fan. I mean, I mean, Eleven is my doctor, which is a very controversial statement, <laughs> but... He was my first. He was my first doctor. Oh, okay. Yeah, because the the guy who introduced me to it, he said, 
I feel like you wouldn't be as into it if you started with Eccleston. Eccleston? Yeah. Yeah. And he said, I wanted you to, to ensure you would be into it. So he made me start with 11. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. I started with nine. So mm-hmm. I, I started with Eccleston and then, you know, worked. I started yeah. watching every episode week to week when <laughs> Donna came on as companion. Uh, uh-huh, so uh-huh. I've been watching for a while. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's really exciting that, you know, we're, even though they weren't supposed to tell anybody about the wage difference, <laughs> the fact that it did come out and people are speaking up about, you know, wage differences between, you know, not only male and female actors, but also, you know, between, you know, actors of, you know, people of color and white people. And, you know, given that minority actors are typically just paid less in general. I am a little bitter about that um, because one of my favorite shows for a really long time was Hawaii Five-0. And I don't know if you heard. Yeah. Yes. So yes. that infuriated me that my two favorite characters who are played by Daniel Day Kim and um, Grace Park had to leave because whoever was like, oh, we're not going to pay you as much as your white co-stars. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it's fine. We can get other Asians in this show set in Hawaii. Just absolutely disgusting. Yeah. Absolutely disgusting. To me, I feel a little bit like a little too late, but I am glad that something's happening. And... Yeah, and I'm also glad that Claire Claire Foy, I feel like her reaction to this has been so British and so graceful. Yes, absolutely. She's kind of like, oh, I, I understand that it's gone viral, and I'm glad that people are talking about it, but you know, it's it's a little odd. You know, I find it a little odd, and it's like, oh my god. We're like, girl, <laughs> girl, we want you to get paid the same as Nat Smith. Like, it is not fair that, you know, you are the crown and not being paid as much as he is. It's, yeah. It's absurd. Speaking of paying, they've actually increased the um, the Stranger Things kids. Oh, my God. They got a huge pay increase Please for season three. <laughs> I mean, looking at the list, um, 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 Millie Bobby Brown is being paid the most out of all of them. She's get she's I'm going okay from that. thirty thousand an episode to three hundred thousand an episode. They are getting so much more money, and the best part is she's paid most of all the children. <laughs> which uh, take that wage parity, which I, I think, think that's is, totally deserved too. It's totally deserved, and yeah. these kids, you know, they have to deal with so much now that the show is a hit, and they are doing so much more and the show's going to go on for I would say another at least after season 3 I would say at least two or three more seasons. Yeah, I I would think so. I yeah. agree. Unless the unless the creators are like four seasons and done. <laughs> you know, people are like that. I'm pretty sure Netflix will be like, "Well, oh, no, sorry." <laughs> sorry, you live here now. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, and the last the last bit of news is that um, Frank Averick, who is best known as Bozo the Clown, which is freaking Ellie out because she has cholerophobia, oh, uh, he actually died this week at 89 years old, which I figured he had died a while ago. <laughs> so the fact he was still alive, I mean, good for you, Frank. It's because clowns live forever because they're not human. <laughs> and so he's just, he's not even dead. He's just on an island somewhere living out the rest of his immortality is a creepy ass clown. Sorry. <laughs> My mom actually tells me the story of when she went to like a recording of Bozo's show when she was a kid. Because he recorded in Chicago. So that's, you know, she was able to go like on a school field trip, which was very sweet. That's one reason I wanted to include this because it was, you know, it's a, it's a story that my mom would appreciate. Was it Frank Averick himself or was it a franchised Bozo? Did, did she know? I think it was Frank Averick himself. Okay. She might not know. Yeah. Because she was so young. Yeah. But it was a very exciting moment for her. She's like, I remember Bozo Buckets and everything. <laughs> it's like, okay, mom, very cool. Can we eat now? <laughs> so. I did I did take the time to, you know, pay him pay respect to him, you know. He did live a very long, successful life. And I found it really interesting that they franchised Bozo the Clown instead of, you know, like I don't even know, like Doctor Who did and made different guys do it. Yeah. That's like very interesting business entertainment concept that I haven't really seen anywhere else. But it did require me to look at pictures of him and I was not very I did not like that at all. Yeah. Uh, 
And then one, I, I did want to throw this in here just a little bit. We don't even have to talk about it. Um, my friend uh, Cameron Grimes was nominated for a daytime Emmy <gasps> for her role as Mariah in Young and the Restless, yes. which is really exciting. I'm really excited for her and the fact that she's also part of a very uh, historic storyline. Her character is one of the, is I think the first lesbian couple on Young and the Restless and it's really just it's so exciting for her and so exciting for the show and i'm i can't wait to see her and you know yell at her and be like you have an Emmy nomination congratulations congratulations that's wonderful that's wonderful news yeah congratulations cameron and once again the renewals that happened this week uh game night will and grace got renewed for season 11 even though they're still in season 9 the Sinner, Travelers, Leah Remini's Scientology in the Aftermath, that I'm very excited about, <laughs> Nailed It, Queer Eye on Netflix, One Day at a Time, everybody was waiting for that one. Yes. That happened this morning. Dope, Drug Lords, and The Toys That Made Us. Netflix did a bunch of renewals today, which is super exciting. Uh, I watched Nailed It with my mom this week, and it is way too much secondhand cringe factor for me <laughs> but other people love it and i'm glad that they love it it's on my list it's on my list to watch i haven't had a chance between my csis <laughs> i know somebody who was on it so oh, really it's, yeah yeah it was very difficult to watch <laughs> very difficult and no cancellations this week oh good which, okay i mean the storm is coming <laughs> we're all just waiting for the big wave of cancellations yeah they're all coming they're all coming yeah so let's get to the conversation, why you are actually here. We're here to talk about Pushing Daisies, which, as a little refresher, Pushing Daisies is about Ned the Pie Maker. Uh, he has been gifted with the incredible ability to bring things back to uh, back from the dead. One touch, they're alive. Next touch, they're dead. Those he revives can only be alive for a minute, or the next closest thing dies in its place. Ned finds out his childhood love, Charlotte Charles, Chuck for short, has died. He revives her for good, but he but now he cannot touch her again. Meanwhile, he helps Emerson Codd, a private investigator, solve crimes by using his ability to interrogate the deceased. I mean, <laughs> what a concept yeah. for a show. I are you are you, are you super familiar with Brian Fuller's shows? I actually am not. His other show that I really liked and also broke my heart, Mockingbird Lane. That one is I that one and Wonderfalls are the two I have not seen yet. Okay. So, yeah, after Mockingbird Lane also got axed very prematurely, I was kind of like, okay, Brian Fuller is just here to wreck my heart and yeah. He continues to do that. Yeah. He has never <laughs> Hannibal is his longest running show. Yes. Yeah, I am familiar with that one. Yeah. And well, the thing is is that with um with Pushing Daisies, Ned was actually originally meant to be a character that was to appear in Dead Like Me, mm-hmm. which is another Brian Fuller show, but it's about Grim Reapers. So he's kind of, you know, and then you've got Hannibal. It's about cannibals. Like, he's... He's got a theme. He's got kind of a theme going yeah. on. You've got American Gods, which is also really... Okay, that know, one I have to watch. I haven't yet, but... It's yeah. so good. It's so good. Yeah. But, you know... Pushing Daisies is, is, it's so, it's such a beautiful show to watch. Yes. Just aesthetically pleasing. Yeah. All the bright colors and the stories are so fairy tale esque Yeah. And the acting I find is very, in a way, it's very, how do I put it? Like smooth and seamless. No one seems forced, which can be a little bit hard to watch. Yes. But it's it's just a very I am like let's put it this way. I am super squeamish and I still watch it. It is a little it does have a little bit of a nasty factor cuz it shows dead people. <laughs> yeah, and like after they've been like run over and they show like the tread marks and everything. Yeah. The makeup on that show is incredible. Yes. I mean there's I I believe that they won Emmys for their scenic design. If yeah. I'm, if I'm I not think, mistaken. Yeah. They were nominated for like 12 Emmys, right? Yeah. Nominated yeah. for 12, even though they had nine episodes in that first season, <laughs> which I mean, just, I mean, that really speaks to how awesome this show was. Yeah. And they, the thing about it is that it is, it has so much in it. It's a romance. It's a comedy. It's a musical at times. And it's also a crime show. Yeah. 
all wrapped up into one, all narrated by Jim Dale, mm. who's the greatest narrator and greatest audiobook reader yes. of all times. Yes. Um, let's be real. He is the better version of the Harry Potter audiobooks than Stephen <laughs> Fry. I will say that. Uh, controversial statement. Yeah. But the only thing that I can ever really think of that is comparable to Pushing Daisies is The Princess Bride. You know what? I've never had that thought before, but I totally agree. Because it I touches totally on agree. so many different genres. Mm-hmm. I completely, that, you know what? My mind is blown by that, honestly. <laughs> I can't believe I haven't thought of that before. Yeah, because yeah. it's, you know, even, and it is kind of even a similar a similar path of, you know, like Wesley can't, you know, reveal his identity mm-hmm. to Buttercup for so long. And it's like, you know, t- Ned can't touch Chuck, which, I mean, ultimately, I would hope that, you know, at the, you know, when the show is, was supposed to be ending <laughs> and was supposed to have like a proper finish that, you know, we would have a way that they would be able to touch. Yeah. I honestly could not think of any possible way that how they would have done that without jumping the shark in the refrigerator. Like, honestly. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. I, 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 I just, I mean, there all the ways that they came up with for them to be romantic was so clever yes i agree and i thought it was a really i'm all about commentary in things and i thought it was a really interesting way to look at having to be chased yes yeah yeah and i thought that was no one had ever seen that before and it was it was very interesting to watch because it was it like oozed romance but it was so chaste except for one episode in season one (laughs) <laughs> yeah well <laughs> i'll be know. honest i binged the first season before coming here today so that's fantastic it's fresh, it's fresh. <laughs> i uh, i i re i made my mom watch it when we were moving out me moving me out here mm-hmm. so every night we would watch more episodes like we stopped in uh outside of tulsa we stopped in albuquerque <laughs> we stopped in needles california which is as spooky as it sounds. I didn't even know a town was called that. California. Yeah, it's right inside the border. <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of creepy. And then we made it to to L.A. and we watched like episodes of Pushing Daisies like <laughs> as we as we went and we finished it here in my apartment. And I always know that my mom really loves the show because we finished it and she goes, "That's it." <laughs> <laughs> yes, mom. Unfortunately, that is yeah. it. She was yeah. already familiar with the heartbreak that came with. Uh, dead like me and firefly oh my god so speaking of i wanted to mention this so there was a buzzfeed article that came out like yesterday that was these are all these shows that were prematurely ended and firefly and pushing daisies were on it pushing daisies was the most it was like a community submission kind of list yeah and pushing daisies apparently had the most submissions by a landslide it is Honestly, like, it is the most heartbreaking show. I mean, we were talking earlier uh, before we started recording about, uh, like, happy endings mm-hmm. being being canceled before it should have <laughs> yeah. been. It got three seasons. It should have gone on for at least seven. Yeah. But they couldn't find scheduling, and they kept putting it on after Modern Family, kept moving it around. Same with Arrested Development getting canceled early because they kept moving it around and not advertising for it. And there's so many shows that that suffer from things like that. And Pushing Daisies, I think, is one of the most tragic cancellations because it was one of the biggest fatalities of the writer's strike. Yes. Yeah. It it was my first TV heartbreak. And it was really interesting because I watched it when I was in high school. I was in like the later years of high school at the time and I had no intention of going into entertainment. I didn't know anything about the writer's strike. I didn't even really know what was going on. I just kind of knew it was something that was happening. And so when it ended after two years, I was kind of like, this is ridiculous. What? This even happens? Like shows don't go on forever and ever. Yeah. And it's just, it was my first, like, it's kind of like, when the real thing happens and your innocence is broken. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, it's like finding out that <laughs> finding out that Santa isn't real. Yeah. And the tooth fairy isn't real. Yep. Sorry, everybody who believed that. <laughs> but it was the biggest casualty because I was looking at the numbers and it had really strong ratings yep. before the writer strike. People loved this show. But when it came back, it lost all of its audience for some 
peculiar reason. I don't know if it was because of advertising and marketing. I don't know if it was because people just moved on, but it was, it's the most heartbreaking thing because it's this little genius show that has so much in it, so much. And there was an article that actually came out recently in the last year asking about like why the show wouldn't, wasn't renewed actually and Barry Sonnenfeld said it's like oh it's because the show is too cute oh my god excuse me (laughs) excuse me oh god I have some thoughts (laughs) (laughs) saying a show is too cute is basically saying this show had more of a female audience and therefore we didn't get the treasured 18 to 49 male demographic which for some dumb reason, networks are still trying to chase, even though we have determined that women watch more TV than men do. So stop trying to cater to men. Cater to the people who are watching TV. Yeah. I'm that that's infuriating. That is a dumb person talking out their butt about something that they don't like. They don't. Did he even watch the show? Right. Yeah. It's like, are you kidding me? Yeah. It's, just absolutely absurd just an absolutely absurd statement and i mean the show the show had so many interesting details to it i mean talking about the the chase part i've seen people equate ned the pie maker to the asexual community Mm. in that you know he is incapable of really being physically intimate with somebody mind you his is not due to lack of desire but it's lack of ability Mm -hmm. and he could be physically attracted to other people like if something were to happen he could theoretically like you know have sex with olive (laughs) but he doesn't want to the person that he wants he can't touch yeah so i've seen i've seen him looked at that way too but seen as you know like a like a heteroromantic asexual character yeah which i think is really great that people are able to see that identity within that character and to also and also that he did it so well because he uh i never really was that like his big thing his big first role lee pace i didn't really know i think so i think it was his big his first big tv role for Mm. sure i know that he'd been in a couple other films like he was in soldier's girl which had kind of gotten some buzz when it came out uh but i i don't think I saw him in anything bigger than Pushing yeah. Daisies before then. Now look at him now. <laughs> and look at him now. Yeah, now he's he's in everything. <laughs> yeah, now he's in everything. He's in Angels in America right now. And, you know, he's actually in the news. And I got thoughts on that. But <laughs> we don't... I mean, I just don't lead reporters on by saying that gay people should play gay characters. And then when they ask the follow-up question of, well, are you gay? <laughs> Don't say that it's an intrusive question. Oh my you God. opened the door. That's your fault. He officially like he he officially identifies as queer now, right? I don't think he used like any official words, but he said like I've dated men, I've dated women. I just don't like to talk about my personal life, and that's fine. That's totally fine. But don't make statements about how gay actors should play gay characters, <laughs> and then ex- not expect a follow up question, <laughs> sir. You're smarter than this. I, I, oh, it made me so mad. I think it made me more mad that there were children on Tumblr who were like, how dare they ask him the question? It's like, <laughs> it's like look. Yeah. Look, he did this to himself. Yeah. Like, I, you, you had this coming. <laughs> buddy, you, you saw this. You saw this. <laughs> One of the things that I've kind of always wondered is the logistics of ned's ability yeah uh, it hurts my brain there's something about fantasy that you know you you constantly like want answers and you want things to be very simple and you want things to be super clear and you know i'm a big harry potter fan and so are you yes. so it's like you kind of have to think outside the realm of of physics and reality to accept magic and accept you know fantastical elements but at the same time, it is really fun to think about the actual logistics of this ability. The first that I had when I was thinking about that watching the show was, why doesn't he just wear a morph suit all the time? Yeah, why doesn't he <laughs> that wear... That would fix all problems. Why doesn't he wear gloves all the time? Yeah. Why doesn't he, 
just do but then again they've also they've also mentioned that it's like if they just touch his skin yeah so it's not even necessarily because that's how his mom died Mm -hmm. again because she you know she kissed his forehead yeah now one of the things that i've kind of i've i've been really thinking about is you know he touches he touches a thing it comes back and if it stays alive longer than a minute the next closest thing dies have we determined that it's like an equivalency thing i feel like they were hinting at it but they wanted more episodes to further confirm it because they kind of like every time a proximity thing would die it would be something of equivalent size or existence yeah like when digby came back that's when i think it was a squirrel or something yeah you know some another animal yeah died and you know when chuck came back to life the owner of the funeral home died on the toilet on the toilet (laughs) so appropriate yeah and then like there was one where a bird died and he brought the bird back to life and for some reason he couldn't yeah i can't remember why but he couldn't put it back dead and so uh i think um emerson the detect the what is he called like the uh, pi yeah the pi he was like running away like oh i hope it's not me but it was another bird yeah i mean i mean and the thing is is that um and correct me if i'm wrong is that it if it's something that has died that has because of him keeping another thing alive he can't revive that thing yeah so you know there is oh no he can he can yeah he can because he um chuck's dad dies and then later in season two he's brought back right yeah right so he can so i mean theoretically he could you know extend things so like if emerson were to be you know the equivalency of whoever he brings back he could bring emerson back um and then the next closest person but then would that be the person that he brought back is that could it keep could we keep bouncing back could people just keep dying yeah but because if it's the equivalency that means that they are he didn't technically touch them yeah so can he bring them back again it's interesting i wish they would have had more episodes to, <laughs> to you know answer our questions forever bitter forever bitter i think brian fuller is most bitter of all of us but i mean we're all still very bitter yes very very bitter cough cough netflix bring it back or someone they've, amazon they've talked about doing it as a musical i yeah i did hear that but kristen chenoweth would have been the star i don't know how i feel about that I mean she was in the show yeah so i'd be okay with that i have thoughts on her as well yeah yeah she um i usually hate when theater actors transition to tv because like leah michelle to glee was horrifying in my opinion i love that trash show <laughs> i yeah i <laughs> that show makes me really sad and angry and all sorts of negative feelings but i watched it anyway so that i could thoroughly and accurately talk badly about it that's why i watched big bang theory for seven seasons i get it yeah i understand i want to be able to argue against people yeah. and they can't say like oh well you've never seen it it's, it's like, like no yes, yes i, I have, have. <laughs> yep. let me tell you yeah so uh yeah kristen chenoweth i i did really like her and i'm glad they utilized her skill and let her sing and everything she was a little bit grating to me sometimes because she would have some theater quirks that would come out okay um, yeah it was just maybe something it was i know this is very specific to me (laughs) because otherwise she is delightful and her transition from theater to television was not as horrible as others like leah michelle like leah michelle oh god who also brought her divaness from theater into tv where it was supported wholeheartedly <laughs> and fed. Yeah. But Kristen Chenoweth was not my least favorite person. Anna Friel is actually my least favorite part of the show. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I found the way she spoke a little irritating because she has a very lovely British accent in real life. Yeah. 
Um, and I found her American accent a little bit forced and like she had a pat of butter constantly in her mouth. Okay. That's how she sounds to me. And I also knew of her because at the time she was married to David Thewlis. Yes. And David Thewlis wanted her to be Tonks. Oh, so, so there's that better. Yeah. So I was like, you were trying to be Tonks. What's wrong with you? Amazing. Like, step off, lady. Step off, lady. Yeah. So that's the only reason. That's It's like a very specific, like, idiosyncratic reason why I hate her. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I would say that I would, I would kind of agree that, like, Chuck was not my favorite character on the show. I mean, Ned was my favorite. Yes. Just, I mean, Lee was just so perfect mm-hmm. in that role. And he was so sympathetic and so earnest and so kind and he was such a great foil to you know especially like emerson you know really like like looking for the money and you know being the the kind of ruthless private investigator and then ned's like i mean but what if this happens and he's like look here ned we can't be doing this you know pie maker go go make your pies do you know if lee pace is a method actor do I know if he is? Yeah. I don't know. I would imagine he was because I don't know how you could keep up his like mannerisms that long. Like, oh, he was just one perfect seamless person as a as Ned. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that whole cast was so great. Oh, the aunts. Oh, my God. Ellen Green and Susie mm-hmm. Kurtz. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Just incredible. Yeah. That was my introduction to both of them. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. I mean, Ellen Green is a great example of a theater actor who, yeah. who you know, seamlessly transitions into film and TV yep. and has no problems because, you know, she's incredible. Yes, I completely agree. I didn't even realize she was like a theater person before until I looked up her Wikipedia page, went down a Wiki rabbit hole and, and yeah, and she's... I was like, oh, that totally makes sense because of the way she is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just, I mean, the the Darling Mermaid Darlings, I just keep thinking of all of the, you know, the the funny little quirks of the show and all of the, you know, all of the, the you know, all the all the weird little things that they have. <laughs> you know, they're, they're synchronized swimming duo and one of them is missing her eye and they like birds and cheese (laughs) and and it's and just all the all the things and you just kind of like you can see the whole world in your head so perfectly Mm -hmm. and so perfectly clear and it's so storybook and that's just a thing that i can't get over it's just the whole aesthetic of the show is the show it is the aesthetic of the show is another character yes entirely i completely agree yeah because you're constantly looking like, what, where are they going? What are they doing? Where are we? <laughs> what is Ricky Lindholm wearing? Giant dandelion head on her. Well, Jack, they were on the Warner Brothers studio lot. So I feel like <laughs> I, I need to also uh, clarify. I know Ellie also from WB, um, where we worked with Shulman from uh, the How I Met Your Mother episode, which, you know, was... It's great. It's so great. I get to connect with all of these people I used to work with because we're all obsessed with TV. Yeah. And it is really wild to watch Pushing Daisies and any show on the WB lot. And you're like, I know where that is. Yeah. I know what that oh, is. I was That was me all through season one. I was like, oh, that's totally like that street without any set dressing on it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. The nunnery is just like the, <laughs> the, the white bank building. Yep. And it's it also serves as like other buildings too, and you're like, I mean, season one has that alley where Jude Law dances down the street, and it just I was like, that's it just played in my head. There's Jude Law dancing down the street, and I just wanted to like hit myself in the face, like don't do that, Ellie, don't do it. Nope, <laughs> not not the time. Yeah, not the time. Yeah, it was great. It's it's a little like bittersweet, but I you know it's it's like Chuck. I get the same feeling from watching Chuck. Yeah. 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 Admittedly, I actually don't watch... I I haven't watched a lot of shows that actually filmed on the WB a lot. It's very strange. Mm, like going, going through all of those shows. <laughs> and honestly, like I... Every time we would 
talk about certain shows and you talk to <laughs> talk to guests about them i'm like i haven't seen gilmore girls i know it's, that's a scandalous thing to say i haven't either oh my god oh my god but you weren't all about that pretty little liars no i was not <laughs> i oh, i tried with that show i tried so hard uh, i tried uh. for about half a season and then i was like um and then it blew up into what it was yeah, I'm and, glad I jumped ship when I did. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad. Uh, so so one of the characters that we, we've kind of touched on but haven't really talked in depth about is, is Emerson. Mm. And his whole story is so interesting because he he kind of drives like the the kind of the episode of the like the crime of the week and the story of the week and bringing them to all these fantastical locations because it's a mystery that they have to solve and a new murder and he's a very interesting character because he has this very clear goal in mind but then you find out that the reason he's doing all of this is because his daughter is missing mm. which is so <sighs> beautiful yeah and touching and then you find out that shy mcbride actually pitched that story to the did writers he? he did i read I that love that yeah he actually you know pitched that he's like oh what if this was his his whole reason of doing this and the writers were like well we had this idea i guess we're doing your idea now <laughs> i hate it when actors have good ideas <laughs> uh, just you know they writers are so upset by that i love chai mcbride as an actor honestly because he always plays the same thing and it totally works for him totally works yeah yeah the same character on house he's pretty much the same person on Hawaii Five-0. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, oh, I love it. And he's like one of those characters who shows up on screen and you feel safe. Because, yeah. you know, like they're not going to do anything horrible while he's on screen. And it's kind of like, I can't even, yeah. I'm trying to think of other actors, like the janitor from Scrubs. Oh, yeah. Neil yeah. Flynn. Yeah. Like he's another one of those. Like he shows up and you know, like you're safe. Yeah. They're I mean, not going to traumatize you. He is, I mean, talk about, talk about actors that really controlled writers <laughs> yeah. i mean neil flynn they just started writing whatever neil says yep. in the script because he would just come up with things that were better than what the writers did and you know shy mcbride the story with his with the daughter is so touching and the fact that he's trying to get to her through a pop-up book mm -hmm. is so sweet oh, my heart is like kind of melting in my chest right now <laughs> it's so sweet and then he has the uh, he has like a romance that kind of happens. Oh, Simone, right? Yes, yeah, Simone. Oh, I love Simone as a character. Honestly, yeah. and and I'm just thinking, I I'm you know I'm just thinking of you know all of the guest stars that they had that also show up in shows that yeah you are watching later. We were talking about this earlier about you know being surprised by you know actress popping up and things. Eric Stone Street's in an episode. He is? He is. Okay. He is in the in the episode where they're actually judging the pies. Oh, okay. That's season two. So I did not binge that because I did not have enough time. Totally fair. It's totally fair. <laughs> but I have, yeah, I have, it's not spoiling because I have seen this show before. So I'm so excited. I'm totally like when I go home, I'm going to binge season two and probably not go to work tomorrow. <laughs> That's fair. And I'll see Eric Stone Street. Yeah. I know like Joe McHale is in season yeah, one. As the, as the polygamous dog <laughs> trainer, which like so wild. Like honestly saying that phrase is wild. A yeah. polygamous dog trainer, yep. dog breeder. And... The whole reason that he, like, really has these specific three wives is because it's, like, per the perfect breed of dog. Yeah. For Bubblegum, the name of the dog. And it's, it's, it's absurd. It's yeah. such an absurd thing to say, but it works in this world. And Emerson's romance is one of those three wives. Yeah. Which I love. And yeah. she was my favorite wife out of the three, just saying. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. She was, she was delicious and just so badass um my favorite guest star though was paul rubens yes that at the time all i knew about paul rubens was his uh theater accident incident yes. yes that's all i knew about him but then when i started working at wb i learned about Pee Wee and all the things he's done and then i realized it was him in 30 rock 
Yeah. As that prince with all the issues. Yeah. <laughs> and so now, like, I kind of, I'm not forgiven him for his transgressions, but he's he's another one of those actors who I always enjoy. Yeah, yeah. It's There's so many great actors that appear in this show yeah. that yeah. you are so pleased to see. Gina Torres is in an episode. Yes, she is. And it's so wonderful. Everybody's so wonderful. And, you know, I just, I'm so stuck on like all of these, all the weird things because I keep coming back to the polygamous dog breeders, you know, just thinking about like, oh, this is a car that runs on dandelions. It's so, it's weird. So one of my favorite episodes that I watched today was when they were figuring out the funeral director was stealing things. And then one of them was a sword, right? Yes. And then the guy, Woodrow, Woodruff or whatever, super southern name, you're expecting this white guy. It's a Chinese-American guy with a thick southern accent. And that is this beautiful. And, and as someone, I'm super, super rabidly passionate about Asian-American representation. As you should yes. be. Yes. And like the fact that they did that was kind of like, this show has everything. It has diversity. Yeah. I, like I, real diversity. <laughs> yes. Yes. Absolutely. And I actually, I have a friend that I recommended this show to because we were working on a project and I had written it. I was like, well, one of my influences kind of, you know, if you want to look at the colors kind of of this world, Pushing Days is a really great example. And the episode that she happened to watch was that episode. Oh, yes. And, you know, she is also, a you know, a Chinese American actor and she was so happy so excited to see that because it's it's such proof that you do not have to cast to you know specific like well this is a southern character obviously they're white it's like Uh, no no. there's all sorts of people that live in the south you know whether they want to live there or not (laughs) that's where they live and the whole and and they actually made the reason really kind of brilliant it was it was genius. On I was why? so happy. It, it was so smart. It was so yeah. smart and so good. And they were so great about, you know, incorporating, you know, women into kind of, you know, bad, bad guy roles mm-hmm. and making sure that they had a lot of racial diversity. They had queer characters in there that are just normal people. And I think that really speaks to Brian Fuller because mm-hmm. that's just what he does. He did that in American Gods. He did that in Star Trek Discovery. That he, is another one I have to watch yes, immediately. Yes, you gotta get CBS, CBS All Access. Access. <laughs> oh God, us oh, the bane of everybody's existence. Oh, I know you're trying to make money, but why? CBS, you don't have enough money. <laughs> That's my question. Yeah, but he is so dedicated to diversity and 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 diverse casts and showing you know, different people in different roles that you might not expect. I was lucky enough to be at Outfest this year for their, you know, their opening night premiere movie. And he was being honored with the, you know, the big award, you know, of a legacy, something, whatever. And he was talking about how he is, he felt so blessed in working on American Gods being able to, you know, tell the story of um, Salim and the Jinn, and telling the story about a a queer Muslim couple, you know, queer Muslim men having sex on screen. And he's <laughs> like, I feel so blessed being able to tell that story. And he is so dedicated. I mean, he names all of his female characters, for the most part, with men's names. Which oh, is, does he? He does. I haven't watched enough of his stuff to realize that. But. He does. I mean, the two that immediately come, or the three that immediately come to mind are, there's George in Dead Like Me is his uh, is his primary character. Ellen Muth, uh, she also appears in Hannibal. Then there's Chuck mm-hmm. yeah. and Michael. Michael Burnham is the main character of uh, Star Trek Discovery. Oh, you're right. I did yeah. know that one. Okay. And he does that. And it's it's such an interesting take because it almost kind of empowers these female characters to embrace more masculine traits in a way because their name is so different. Yeah. Yeah. And I love how it's just it's just throwing it in the face of like 
heteronorms and being like, what, what are you going to say about it? This character is amazing. Yeah, gonna what you going to do? Yeah. What you going to say? What yeah. you going to do? Yeah. It's that, the actress who plays Michael, I can't, I don't remember her name, but she is gorgeous. And she was, I watch KTLA every morning. It's not a plug. I'm not getting paid. But <laughs> um, she was on the show and I was like just mesmerized, didn't get anything done. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I know her first name is Sinequa. I'm blanking true. on her yeah. last name. Yeah. But I completely agree. And she's phenomenal yeah. in Star Trek Discovery. <sighs> oh, yes. And then that Michelle Yeoh. Oh, please be my mom. Michelle Yeoh. <laughs> uh, another another time we'll discuss Star Trek Discovery. Uh, but, you know, Pushing Daisies is just, it. it needed more time. Yes. It needed so many more episodes to explore everything that it was trying to tell. And it's such a cotton candy sort of show. You, It's so light and fluffy, even though it's dealing with these really bizarre concepts. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it is surrounded by death. The show is surrounded by death. Yeah. It is death. But it's put in such a light flavoring that it makes the death a lot more palatable. Yeah. And it's it makes death seem more kind in a way. Yeah, I totally agree. Especially like the the moment when um Chuck sees Ned do that thing for the first time, the touch thing, and the first thing she goes is she jumps in and said, "Do you have any last requests?" That was beautiful to me. Yeah. That was such that was such a huge thing for like of course that character does that yeah yeah and it's like that's so sweet too that like and not in a sickening way but like like that you would ask someone is there anything i can do for you right yeah right mind you and then you have emerson who's like um just tell me tell me what i need to know get my money he's (laughs) he's like excuse me we only have a minute (laughs) we don't have time for this (laughs) which i think is so wonderful i love that. that They have such conflicting needs and wants in that moment. You know, you have the the PI who's just, his goal is to solve the mystery and to help these people, but her goal is to help the deceased. (laughs) And it's, it's wonderful. You know, I... After, you know, we worked at WB, I, my next job was actually in a mortuary. So, you know, I remember working, that. Yeah, working yeah. with dead people is, it's such a different world. And especially, my favorite part was working with the decedents and working mm. with the actual, uh, the people that did die. Really? Yeah, it was, because it, it it's such, it's such a different feeling. And it's very hard to describe the the peace that you kind of get being Mm -hmm. around somebody who has passed because you only know them based on what their family has said and like what they're wearing and things like that and you know I would talk to them like they were there you know I it was kind of a way to calm (laughs) myself down like okay I'm going to this room there's a dead body in here but you know there was a point where you know I would go in the prep room and there would be like you know six caskets in there that are all full with people ready to go out for services and I'd like open the door and be like what up party people like you just (laughs) you kind of have to do that and you you have to be accepting of death and accepting of the life cycle that it is Mm -hmm. and you know Ned being able to bring people back to life is disrupting that Mm -hmm. and then Chuck is trying to you know tie it all up nicely in a bow and I actually I want to say I really admire like that you worked in a mortuary. Oh, thank you. I I work with at where I work. I work with the former chief medical examiner of LA County. Um, his name is very long. It's Indian Lakshmanan Satyavadishwaran. But he, you know, does this. He talks to dead people. Not really talks to them, but he like solves why they were killed. And the only reason he would see them is if their death was some weird unnatural circumstance. And he, in a way, reminds me a lot of Ned. And I find I just had that thought and it was really interesting. Like to be able to handle death, you have to have a certain like quirkiness and like really, like really attention to detail. The way that Ned could pump out all those pies all the time. He must be some kind of like anal retentive OCD. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> I mean, and his his whole life is death, so why not have the joy of pie and the joy of bringing yeah. people joy through 
food, even though it's food that he actually himself cannot enjoy. Yeah. Because then it rots in his mouth, which I, is they were. I love that they totally like kept to that too. Yeah. They never slip on that, and yeah. that's beautiful. That's great, right? Yeah. I I absolutely love that. So let's move on to the fun part of the whole show. Uh, we're gonna. It's not a game this time, but <laughs> I figured since you're a big Harry Potter fan and I'm a big Harry Potter fan, that we should sort the four main characters of the show. So excited! So let's start with Ned. What house do you think Ned would be in? I think he would be. It's hard because at first I want to put him in Hufflepuff, but he's not laid back enough. So I don't really know, like, can you be that tightly wound and be in Hufflepuff? I don't know. He doesn't really strike me as somebody who is necessarily, you know, a hard worker or loyal. Like, you know, those being yeah. his, like, defining mm-hmm. characteristics. Yeah. I. So my second thought was a little bit Slytherin. Interesting. Because, like... He is he keeps to himself, and he cares about the people who are close to him. He brought back the love of his life, and just like did like he feels a little bad that some other guy had to die for it. But after it, he's like, "Oh yeah, hmm, fine." Interesting. You know what I mean? Yeah, I would not have. I would not have. I would not have picked that. Really? What, what would you have picked? I mean, I would have put Ravenclaw, but I feel like that's more of a selfish decision. Because <laughs> you're in Ravenclaw? Yes, that's yeah. why I'm, is I'm See, in Ravenclaw. I am a hardcore Slytherin. I took the test where it tells you what percentage you are of each thing. I was 92% Slytherin. Holy cow. Yeah. But I'm like, I like to think I'm a thoughtful, kind Slytherin. <laughs> they exist. Yeah. They exist. Yeah, like I was a good Slytherin. But, um,. Yeah, I think he would be Slytherin because he, like, Slytherins don't really go out of their way to help other people. He just yeah. kind of does it because he has to. Yes. But he does go out of his way for Chuck and Emerson and Olive sometimes. Yeah. Olive sometimes. <laughs> I mean, we barely talked about Olive, but that that girl uh, is wild. Yeah. she. Uh, we'll get to her in a second. <laughs> so, Chuck, where, would, where do you think Chuck would she be? She would be a squib. A squib. I hate Chuck. No, I don't hate her. She, uh, she, uh, not she your, would, not your favorite. She's not my favorite. But if I were to put her in a house and allow her to have magical abilities, I would say Gryffindor. Yeah, I could see that. I, I would flip between that and Hufflepuff. Yeah, I totally agree. Because she's her, her heart is you know one of the things and she's very very brave yes and she you know leaves the house and she does all of these things that her aunts never did and she is you know constantly kind of putting herself out there but she so deeply cares about the people around her yeah um and she is patient and and kind and you know Gryffindor I think is a really great placement for her yeah honestly uh Emerson I think he's another Slytherin. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I mean, his his whole thing is ambition and, you know, getting to that end goal. It's yeah. like he's all about the money. That is that is his end goal. My, I mean, he does have his daughter in the back of his mind. Yeah. And he does have that. But that is his daughter. That yeah. is somebody that is of his kin, yeah. of his ilk. I completely agree. He doesn't really like to associate with many people outside of his circle either. Mm-hmm. He's very happy that Ned keeps to himself <laughs> because that means that, okay, great. It's just us then. Yeah. And then he brings in Chuck and it's like, she's got to be here. Yeah. And Slytherins and Gryffindors don't really get along that well. Maybe no. that's maybe that's why I don't like Chuck that much. Maybe. Because my 92% Slytherin. Maybe. <laughs> I've recently done, you know, those blend tests. Yeah. And I, I, always, get, I always get Ravenclaw on top because I'm... I always thought that you had to be really bookish to be Ravenclaw. I mean, I like yeah. learning. Like, I am I like reading. I like all that stuff. But then I was like, oh, right. Luna's in there. Mm-hmm. And I'm just nutty. <laughs> so that makes sense. I like learning for the sake of learning. And then like, well, what can I do with this information? <laughs> and then do the weird thing with it. So I, you know, completely relate to that sort of, you know, Ravenclaw 
definition, but there is there are always like two kind of definitions to each house. Mm-hmm. But my second one is started to become Gryffindor, which I'm very confused by. That's it, surprising. I know it used to be Slytherin, but now it's <laughs> but now it's like Gryffindor. It's I I don't understand it. Maybe you've become kinder. I have zero percent Gryffindor. <laughs> I was I'm I don't know how to feel about that. I my first feeling is happy, so <laughs> I've never been ever sorted completely into Gryffindor. It's mm. never been a thing that's happened and I'm okay with that. Olive. Ooh. Olive I think is she's difficult because she she leads with her heart. Yeah. Often. However, she is also unafraid to go after what she wants. I honestly I think she would be in Ravenclaw. Really? Okay. Yeah. Because, like, you know how you were saying that, like, Ravenclaws can be a little bit nutty? Mm-hmm. I think Ravenclaws can be a little bit obsessive. Yes, that is yeah. also very accurate. Yeah, like, when they like something, yes. they like it. Speaking from experience, that is true. <laughs> so, yeah, she, like, for that reason, I think she would be in Ravenclaw. And she also, like, she's very clever. Yes. Like, um, when, when, uh, when the three of them, Chuck ned and emerson are going to get that guy who has no arm yes and the aunts are in there with olive and she kind of comes out and she like just says two words and chuck knows that the aunts are in there yeah that's so smart yeah she's very very clever very very witty she's very sharp very on top of her game Mm -hmm. very she's able to get out of these situations like she was in the nunnery and she's able to get out of there with pigby and yeah. she's very curious very curious yeah so i would put her in ravenclaw personally what were you gonna where were you thinking i i really wasn't sure i was thinking i i feel like i just keep wanting to sort all of them into hufflepuff <laughs> um but i think that's more of my uh <laughs> lack of understanding of what a hufflepuff is <laughs> i know what a hufflepuff is like i really really do but i would I, say uh lily I don't know if we're allowed to sort her. Oh, aunt. yeah. 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 I think she's a Hufflepuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and then is there anyone? Who are we missing? The other aunt. Slytherin. Yeah. Yeah. Hardcore. Yes. She's probably like 92% Slytherin <laughs> as well. She's probably, yeah. <laughs> she's probably with you. Probably with you. Yeah, it's 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 interesting that this is a cast or a, a cast of characters that are primarily Slytherins. But like good Slytherins. Yeah, but good Slytherins. You know, and I and I always say I'm obsessed with, you know, sorting and, and the houses and whatnot. And, you know, I always say there are good Slytherins and there are bad Gryffindors. Yeah. You know, not all Slytherins are bad. Not all Gryffindors are good. You know, and it's – there are two sides. They're, you know, the two sides of the same coin. It's just a matter of how they go after the thing that they want. Yeah. And how they relate to the people around them. They're both – deeply deeply uh loyal Mm -hmm. to their to their kin but you know gryffindors are willing to extend it and (laughs) slytherins are like nope these people are right here these people right here are good i think that's so wonderful (laughs) all right ellie we're gonna go on to the 30 second pitch what show are you do you think that people should be watching so I don't know if this counts as something that people aren't watching, but I'm going to say Rick and Morty. Okay. Because I recently found out that it has not been renewed for a fourth season. Yes. By Cartoon Not yet. Not yet. But it's like they're not going to start production until it gets renewed. So. That's true. That's breaking my heart. Please don't do this to me. Please. But it's, it's a show that. Okay. Let okay. Me... I'll give you a countdown. Three, two, one, go. So take the crazy grandpa from Back to the Future and take his filter away. Um, put him into this nutty animation that's weirdly really soothing to watch. And put him with his grandson and his granddaughter um, with an amazing voice cast. These actors are so funny. Amazing writing and also like life-changing cult movement like being able to make McDonald's bring back a discontinued sauce. Stop. It's 30 <laughs> seconds. Yeah. Yeah. I I watch Rick and Morty as well, and it's it's a really wonderful show. I Yeah. Highly recommend. Yeah. 
I was trying to choose, but I, I felt like I had to use my 30 seconds for that one just because put some energy in there. Come on, world. Renew it. Renew it. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't do a pushing daisies. <laughs> don't do this to us. Well, Ellie, thank you so much for coming in and talking about this show with me. And it's so great to see you again for the first time in so long. <laughs> yeah, thank you for having me. I was, it gave me a good excuse to rewatch Pushing Daisies. You know, it's any excuse is a great excuse, honestly. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, Ellie, do you have anything that you want to plug for the people anywhere they can follow you? I want to plug my pug. Yeah. Please follow my pug on Instagram, Mojito Pug. Boom. Done. Yeah. We're talking about pugs earlier and how <laughs> goofy they are. Uh, you can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all at Jack Loves TV. Uh, if you like the show, please rate and leave a comment on iTunes. Tell your friends about the show. It really helps just get the word out there and, you know, boost in the ratings and so more people can find the show. Uh, I want to thank my producer, Christian Humes, for everything that he does. And uh, I'm part of the Zeitheist Network. And I will talk to you all next week. Bye. Bye.